The following is a presentation of the Belly Up Sports Media Network. And welcome in, everybody, to another episode of the High Low Sports Podcast. We appreciate y'all for joining us here on this Wednesday evening, or if you're checking us out on one of your favorite places to get podcasts. Today it is just me today, DJ, for the tip-off. And you know what, Kelsey is out for today, but you will see him back very, very shortly as well, too. I do have a special guest joining us for the main event. We will have Jared from the corner booth to talk about a little bit of a rookie report as we take a look at the NFL rookies this year and give them a little bit of a report card as well. But in the meantime, we're gonna we're just gonna hang out. We're gonna talk a little bit of sports. We're gonna chat a little bit as well too. So without further ado, I'm gonna let that take us right into the tip off. And of course, we know the tip off is brought to you by our friends over at SeatGeek. If you use code BellyUpSports, you can get yourself twenty dollars off on your first usage on SeatGeek. So you want to get yourself some tickets to one of these games, maybe a concert, anything along those lines, maybe a little bit of both. Use code BellyUpSports. Get yourself twenty dollars off for your for for your first set of tickets as well. And for the tip-off, what we're going to do today is we are roughly 25% of the way through the NFL season. So what we're going to do is we're going to take a look at a few teams. That we're going to say, should they be panicking or should they take a page from old-school 2014 Aaron Rodgers and R-E-L-A-X? So we're going to take a look at these teams and see if they need to press that panic button or what they should do. And the first one we're going to look at, we're going to go with the obvious one. We're going to go with the Cincinnati Bengals as well. A lot of team people's Super Bowl pick, if you saw our preseason predictions, they were my Super Bowl pick as well. And a team that's probably destroyed a lot of people's fantasy teams with Jamar Chase, T. Higgins, and Joe Burrow underperforming a little bit. So for the Bengals, panic or relax, I'm going to say not quite yet for the panic. It is very, very close. Like your hand is on the button. You just haven't applied pressure yet as well. They're two, they're one and three, just got absolutely smacked by the Titans across the board. They One of the worst pass defenses, and they mustered three points. That is Absolutely terrifying for the Bengals' chances on the rest of the season. The only reason it's not a full-fledged panic yet, they have the Arizona Cardinals coming up a very winnable game if they are on their P's and Q's. Basically, the offense has been relegated to Joe Burrow catch. One read, ball has to come out. He can't move. He can't extend. He can't climb the pocket anymore. It looks like he knows that. He looks like basically Drew Bledsoe at this point with how immobile he's become with that calf injury. We already know the offensive line has its own issues on top of that, so... Right now, the Bengals, it's so close to panic, like the hand is on the button. The reason it's not is because we've seen glimpses of it still, and you have the Cardinals, a very winnable game. You end up 2-3 and three, the rest of that division. The Ravens are out in front right now, but they, their injury report looks like a CBS receipt. You got the Browns, who are still – the jury's a little bit out. That defense can be elite, but we saw what the Ravens did to them last week. Saw Deshaun miss the game as well, too. We've seen them be a little up and down. Pittsburgh, that defense, same story, different chapter. That defense is elite, but their offense has struggled. Kenny Pickett now has an injury too. So we're going to keep – they have a chance they can right the ship. We know how hot they can get, but it's not looking good right now. The Bengals, it's so close to panicking. But next that's going to take us to the to the New England Patriots. Well, was once a dynasty for 20 years. They're now smashing the panic button. They are both hands, full pressure. They're giving CPR to that panic button at this point. They Coming off of Bill Belichick's worst loss in his career, 38-3 to to the Dallas Cowboys. You lost a close one to Philadelphia early. That's going to happen. Philly's that good. You lost a very close one right after that as well, too. It's okay. You 0-2 is not good. Like, you got to find a way to get And then, of course, the barely beating the Jets. It was like, okay, maybe they can ride the ship. But I think after that loss to the to the page, excuse me, after the loss to the Cowboys, the Patriots have to be hitting the full panic button right now. 
They were being competitive, but still losing is not going to get it done right now, especially in that division where you have the Bills now three and one. They look like they have flipped they have flipped the scripts from week one. They look ready to go. They look like the juggernaut. Miami still three and one, still did score 70 less than a week ago. Did beat a team by 50. They did get smacked by the Bills, but they are still that team. And then you still have the Jets who maybe Zach Wilson finally found a little bit of a groove. Maybe that game against Kansas City was the one that kind of like when the light switch turns on for him, we saw Justin Fields that kind of clicked for him last year too, and we started running. So maybe Zach Wilson kind of flipped that switch. And if that's the case, the Jets just became a very frisky team. And the Patriots, they not only turned into the cellar dweller of that division, they look like they're they're almost in the crater for Caleb sweepstakes at this point. I think at this point, they need to start panicking. You just lost Matthew Judon. You lost Christian Gonzalez, your star defensive rookie who kind of allowed you to play the type of defense they were playing that was putting these teams in fits. Sure, you brought back J.C. Jackson, who with Bill Belichick's history, J.C. Jackson did now play like an all-pro, but just, just the way things work with the Patriots. But I'm still a little bit worried for them as well. So Patriots, they are smashing that panic button right now. Defensively, the injuries are piling up offensively. At least they have an offensive coordinator now, so it's not a complete mess, but Mac Jones is having difficulties. The receivers aren't separating that well. Like it's There's a lot going on there. They they can they can maybe write the ship if they get hot, but through 25% of the season, I'm going to start to panic if I'm them. Next, we're going to take a look at the Washington Commanders, a somewhat surprising, but at the same time, not surprising two and two. They almost they came within basically a, a hair on their chinny chin chin against the Eagles. Comeback win against both the Cardinals and the Broncos. Devastating loss to the Bills. They find themselves a two and two. They're not panicking at all. I think they're nice and relaxed right now. Two and two, not. Not great. You have the Bears on a short week Thursday. That's you need to get right game right now. Having Chicago is probably that game for them. An injured Chicago team missing two starting defensive backs on top of it with a third one questionable. The Commanders, I think, will be just fine. They're right in the thick of it for this division. The Eagles out in front with the Cowboys shortly behind. Cowboys got a very tough 49ers game coming up. The Eagles schedule is only going to get more difficult with as they do have the Bills and the Chiefs and some of those other games coming up as well. If I'm the Commanders, I'm not too worried right now. I think you win this week, you're three and two, depending on what happens with Dallas and with Philadelphia, they could still be right in the thick of it. They're not that far off. They've shown the ability to compete with just about anyone, minus that Bills game where Sam Howell got sacked nine times or something ridiculous like that. So I think if I'm the commanders, we're not panicking yet. We're we're leery because of how good that division can be, but four games in, you're two and two. Most if you told most commanders fans before that season, they would take it as well when you look at the schedule. Not the way you expected to get there, but you definitely take it. Next, we're going to take a look at the New York football Jets, who I mentioned earlier, and they are very, very close to that panic button as well, too. They're kind of like the Bengals. The hand is on there, sitting at one and three. But we're going to take it just a slight bit off because of what we saw from Zach Wilson and the team this last Sunday night against the Kansas City Chiefs. Could that have been Kansas more Kansas City than them? It's arguable. Depends who you talk to, for sure. But that defense still can get after when Sauce isn't holding and when the, when the pass rush is getting after. Quinn Williams is still that dude. They still got players across the board. Offensively, get Brees Hall the ball, get Dalvin Cook the ball, get Garrett Wilson the ball quickly. Randall Cobb, Alan Lazard still getting in the groove of it. We saw Zach Wilson play arguably the best game of his young career, which is saying a lot for his young career right now. But with Zach Wilson, you can see the ability to hit those back shoulder throws, the ability to catch, read, react. If he can play like that, they become very, very frisky. If that's the if that's the game that kind of turns the season around, turns his career around, and he could play like that consistently. The Jets just enter, they enter the playoff conversation again because what they need is someone who won't turn the ball over and will move the ball. 
The defense will have to play better. They'll have to give the ball to Brees Hall more. But what we saw from Zach Wilson was very, very, I'd say very positive. So we want to see more of that and see where he continues to go from there. So the Jets, they're not quite, I wouldn't say they're quite panicking yet, but they're kind of, they're they're on the fringe right now too. But I think after that week, after that game, they get one more week before they fully hit the panic button. So next that's going to take us to their New Jersey mates in the New York football Giants. And when it comes to the Giants, they're smashing that panic button. That panic button is getting hammered with a hammer, a nail, a drill, whatever you need. They are smashing the heck out of that panic button right now. It is not looking good for them right now. Take away two quarters against the Cardinals. They've been basically absolutely destroyed by more than 100 points, it feels like. 40 to nothing early on. 40 to nothing week one. We saw this last week, 24 to three. Then in between there, they also got smacked as well, too. I, try, it'll lose, I think it was the 49ers who smacked them across the board, too. It does not look very positive for the Giants. Daniel Jones, like everybody besides the Giants, it felt like kind of knew that giving him $40 million a year was not a good idea. But at the same time, you still they were stuck in that position where they kind of had to. Well, they didn't have to, but they chose to while not paying Saquon Barkley. So for the Giants, they're in a weird spot right now because they could be the worst team in the league. They could finish with a top five pick, but you have a quarterback you're paying $40 million to. So are you cratering for uh, Caleb? Are you getting manhandled for May? I don't know what their plan is getting on for Shadur, I don't know. But if they end up, if they continue on this trend, the offensive line, Evan Neal does not look like himself. Andrew Thomas hasn't been out there. Saquon hasn't been out there. Dexter Lawrence is awesome, but Leonard Williams is in and out. The secondary that you spent a first round pick on does not look good. I don't don't know what they have going for them outside of those two quarters against Arizona. So the Giants, it is panic time in New Jersey for them. I, in this division, nonetheless, too, when you have those teams, I think it's a, is not looking good for him right now. If I'm the Giants, I am definitely panicking. I am reeling. And next, what we're going to look at is we're going to go and take a look at this Pittsburgh Steelers. We kind of alluded to them earlier. They're sitting at 2-2 two and two right now as well. They do have a division win over the Browns. They do have the – that has helped them a lot too. My concern with them is I don't think they're hitting the panic button yet, but their hand is right on it as well. Kenny Pickett with a bruised knee, he seems like he's week to week defensively they can be outstanding when they're getting after the quarterback but if they get basically tj watt and highsmith get stalled up for even a second that secondary can get picked apart mega fitzpatrick is a very good ball hawk we all know know that joey porter jr's working on it still patrick peterson's not quite himself right now you kind of tell he hasn't he's not patrick peterson he's an old man at this point we already knew that linebackers are a little bit thin but i'm just gonna say that guy that's close to panicking right now it's very very close Najee Harris is his usage rate is coming way down. Jalen Warren's is coming up. Neither one's been outstandingly productive. Deontay Johnson has been out. Fryermuth hasn't done a whole lot. We've seen George Pickens has been a bright side, but in very short spurts. He gets like three to three catches a game. It feels like they need to get him involved more. And of course, the elephant in the room, Matt Canada is the offensive coordinator. That is clearly not working. The concepts aren't lining up. They don't work to Kenny Pickett's strength. They don't play to the down and distance. Pittsburgh fans have had it up to here with them. We've seen Antonio Brown go on his rant about Matt Canada, but at this point, if I'm the Steelers too, it's very close to panicking. The only reason you're not is because in that in that division, you're two and two. You're second in the division technically because of the tiebreaker. You're right in there. Another win here or there, just right the ship. And when you have Mike Tomlin at the helm, it's never out of losing season. You know, you don't rule them out until the fat lady sings. He's got his work cut out for him this year. We will say that. He, he has got his work cut out for him if he can try and right this ship and get them going as well. So when it comes to when it comes to them, I'm not quite panicking yet. So they can 
relax just a little bit longer. But that's what we are looking at for the panic and relaxing of this weekend. That's going to do it here for the tip-off, which is going to take us now into the main event. And for the main event, as we promised, you won't have to just listen to me talk on this one. We'll be joined by a guest who, one of the very few Diamondbacks fans I actually know, the loudest man on Broad Street, and easily Martha Vineyard's favorite guest, our good friend from the corner booth, and definite Jonathan Gannon non-supporter. We got Jared from the corner booth. Jared, glad to have you join me here today. Thank you, buddy. Appreciate it. Thank you for taking me away from watching that stressful game. Um, I haven't watched a Dimex playoff game since I was a month and a half out of college. So that being said, it's a, it's been a long time. Mm-hmm. Um, last night was stressful. Tonight is stressful. I'm also going dry tonight. So it's been a rough day. I'm drinking raspberry seltzers right now. By the way, these slap. It's called switch drift, spin drift, spin switch drifts, whatever the hell they're called. They're five calories. Raspberry lime, it absolutely hits. So, you know, going going dry ain't a problem tonight. So I'm I'm happy to be here. Thank you for that. Adult Capri Sun, glad to have it in there as well. So glad to have you here for the main event. For the main event, we're going to talk about something that's near and dear to both of our hearts. We're looking at the NFL, and we're going to be talking about rookies. We're about a quarter of the way through the season. We're starting to get a feel for teams, get a feel for what the season is going to be like. We're going to talk about a couple of rookies that we are high on and a couple that we are low on. So I'm going to open the floor to you first. Give me a rookie that you are really high on through the first four games. The number one quarterback in my draft class, when you look back at my mock draft, was C.J. Stroud. And I am banging my chest right now because I saw this every time he took the field last year for Ohio State. I don't believe in school curses. I believe in coach curses. But if you are good enough to overlook a coach and to beat a team without your best receiver and only lose because of a shanked field goal to the best defense in football, in college football, you have my attention. On top of that, everything C.J. Stroud is good at is stuff you don't need to measure with a combat performance or with a, as my computer starts having a seizure. But, you know, i got to turn off reminders. The problem having a MacBook is everything syncs together, and if I have 50 reminders on my work phone, it all pops up my game on my, on my screen. Anyway, when I look at Stroud, everything's there. He's pro-polish. He now holds the record for the most consecutive pass without an interception to start his career. And, DJ, it's the pinpoint passing. It's the be able to throw everything inside and outside of the numbers. And I look at his body of work, and I'm like, the Texans have a shot at winning the division. Now, if we talked about this three months ago, if you said the, the Texans were going to win the division, so you thought we were smoking crack. We they, all thought tested on the spot. Yeah, like seriously, like worse than AJ Brown on Monday. Like just absolutely getting like saying, "Sir, please piss in this cup, piss in this cup, and take this blood test." And we might even do a hair test too. Yeah, at the same time. Oh yeah, all at once, like in like a well lit room, like <laughs> like there's, but or or unless you're from Houston, like Hector, but like that's that's the it's I'm blown away. Like there are obviously a couple of rookies I'm very high on right now. Another one would be obviously my boy, Mr. Carter, out of uh, Philadelphia. Just, you know, one of the the, the top-ranked yeah, defensive tackles. One of the one now, guys. I know, I know. A, little now preview, a little preview for my defense. But, uh, mm-hmm. you know, C.J. Stroud still, by the way, blows it out of the water. Far and away the best rookie either side of the ball. He is basically the reason his team may win that division, and his team was supposed to be a dumpster fire this year. So, yeah. My favorite part about him, too, is – he when they asked him to describe himself, he didn't like Will Love's like, I got a cannon, I can't wait to sling it, all that other goofy stuff. 
he's like, I'm a ball placement specialist, which means he, he anticipates, he knows where the ball is going to go. And he, that's things that translate to the NFL perfectly. Yeah. He so pretty much all where it needs to go. Good. My favorite thing about CJ Stroud is that his game is so much like Aaron Rodgers, but it's a more meticulous version of Aaron Rodgers. And if you watch his progression from the Oregon upset last uh, 2021 to, to now, the growth is almost Jalen Hurts and Tom Brady level of evolution week to week. He's always learning. And it's, it's like you don't see that with young quarterbacks. You see a lot of rookie mistakes. You see a lot of growing pains. You don't see them adapting instantly. Like this kid's got a QB brain. And when he said ball placement specialist – that's a pro. That's that's not that's Will Levis is a he he grew up sixteen miles south of me. That's 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 a, that's a kid. That's a jock. That's the, the he's he's not an intellectual when it comes to the quarterback position. He's just a quarterback. Stroud clearly is just like I'm here to put the ball in a spot where only my guy can get it for us to succeed and win ball games. And that to me is just invaluable. Absolutely. The worst part, the worst thing that happened to him was a the Ohio State thinks people tend to scout the helmet. They don't scout the player, which with Ohio State, that's been the curse recently. And mm-hmm. two, they looked at his personnel because he had the best group of receivers in college football recently. But at the same time, Joe Burrow had them. They didn't look at it as much as well. So I think so, to, um, so did Mac Jones. Like it's like you play at that high level, it's going to happen. So I think people overlook that. I had him as my fifth overall prospect. I so I'm surprised at how well he's doing. I expect him to do this in like year two or three. So I, so like the fact he's doing it out of the gate is absolutely ridiculous. No, no hate on CJ Stroud. I loved him. I want him to go to Indy. So I like the no hate here. Speaking of I Indy, I thought I thought he'd be perfect at Indy. They would. They would, he, oh, they'd have fun. Speaking of Indy, though, the next guy that on the list for him, I'm gonna I'm gonna be the homer on this one. I'm taking Anthony Richardson right out of the gate. I'm he's played for. He's played what six quarters now altogether, give or take. Like, or actually, he's played ten quarters. He's played two and a half games, and yeah. he has scored seven touchdowns. It, if you prorate his numbers for the full season, he's on pace to score 30 touchdowns right now. If he would have played those whole games, he would have been on pace to score like 42, which little can't obviously do that because he missed a game and a half. But my point being, he's been absolutely outstanding for the raw prospect that he was. He's pretty much just was on polish. He just needed to play. He, I don't think he was as raw as people want to see. You see the pocket movement. His accuracy wanes. He's, that's going to work on. He's a 21-year-old kid. He's going to work on the accuracy. His strength isn't C.J. Stroud. He's... He's a playmaker. I think we talked about it in text after this last game. He's just an absolute playmaker. He's a mm-hmm. weird combination of Cam Newton and Donald McNabb souped up to 11 in 2023. I love that combination because you see the raw tools of Cam Newton, but you see the quarterback instincts that McNabb had. And my favorite thing about Anthony Richardson is the moment's not too big. No. He's like, fuck it. He's like, he's like, I got this. Like, we're good. Like, <laughs> I'm good to go. And <clears throat> I think his biggest problem is obviously they don't have really weapons. I think if they actually get JT on the field, the threat of JT being able to pop one off for 85 yards on one handoff is going to make those zones and that, those man coverage windows so much bigger. And also, can we also just knock the fact that the kid played at Florida? <laughs> it, it, that's basically the like community college version of a college offense. Like, come on. That's an insult to community college, honestly. Exactly. Look- I'm, I also, to be to be fair to those at home who don't know me, I'm a diehard Miami Hurricanes fan. My hatred of the Florida Gators is well documented. Um, I usually on my show call them Gator Humpers International. So, 
Uh, I just, to me, like in that offense, if we look back and like, come on, like their bowl game against Oregon State was the most abysmal showing of a college team I've ever seen. And that was before half their team quit and opted out of the bowl game, including Anthony Richardson. But honestly, he shouldn't have played anyway. So, um, but yeah, love the pick. This isn't Homer at all because my next my, my next pick is a Homer too. So, and I'm gonna throw on top of that as well. What's interesting is he's actually playing quarterback. He's not playing athlete that throws ball. He's playing quarterback. He's scrambling and throwing a touchdown while evading. Or he's throwing a forty yard dot while Aaron Donald is bear hugging into the ground without getting a chance to step into. It. He's making he inhuman. Welcome to the league, the only way he knew how. <laughs> exactly, we brought him right in, and it, that's and they've given up one sack. <laughs> Because of him, because of his ability to move the pocket and extend plays and, and throw the ball away, get rid of it, not just fall down. So I think as long as he doesn't let people, as long as he doesn't slow up running to the end zone, get get a concussion because he gets hit, the sky's the limit for him. And as you mentioned, who would have thought they would be tied? They'd be in the hunt for the division. The entire division's tied at two and two right now, and they're well, technically sitting at the top of it. We we can go on a tangent for this like for thirty seconds, but the Jaguars' biggest problem is that they are eating themselves. Oh, 100%. They're the most talented roster in this division by a country mile. They should be 4 0, if not 3 1, comfortably. Yeah, no, the fact that they lost well, the 3 1, that they lost to Kansas City. Kansas City should kill 3 1. 3 1. 3 1. I will solidly take that one. This is a bang on 3 1. But the problem is they are their own worst enemy, and we see it every week. On defense, they get sloppy, their coverages get loose, and guys get open, except unless your name is Desmond Ritter. Or. Hmm. On offense, they just they miss signals, they miss assignments. Why is Calvin like Calvin Ridley is possibly the best receiver Trevor Lawrence has ever seen on a football field in his own uniform? So why isn't he chucking him the ball every time he has a chance? And the fact that like he throws to guys like Christian Kirk, who's a glorified oversized slot receiver, or Zay Jones, who's the best sidekick. Calvin Ridley should be getting at least 13, 14 targets a game with how dynamic he can be with the ball in his hands. But also, I chalked up Doug Peterson, new offense with new weapons. No, same offense, but new weapons and the fact that he likes to pass the ball around like a joint. So it's like it, no receiver ever gets overly targeted. That's the reason Alshon Jeffrey became like a problem in the locker room because it was always pass the ball. The open guy gets the ball. It doesn't matter who the number one is. So – I think the Jags, the, their biggest problem is themselves. But that may work itself out. It's only week four. It's week five now, technically. We're only a quarter way through the year, and it's besides the Texans being good and the Giants being abysmal, everything looks how I thought it would look. So, As everything's coming at least on pace right now. And like you said, they got the Bills coming up next in their second home. We'll see with them as well. But my last point I'll make on Anthony as well coming in, you mentioned Jonathan Taylor back practicing. Not only does he add that with those zone reads, that gives you a check down option that can take it 60 really quickly. That gives you the halfback screen option is so much more dynamic because Zach Moss has been awesome, but he's not running 50 yards up the sideline against Baltimore on Monday night when Carson Wentz is playing quarterback off of a 70-yard screen pass. He's not taking a one dump off for 20 yards on his first career touch in the NFL. He might. He just might run through 14 people. <laughs> okay, that's fair. He's not running away from anyone. He just might have to destroy a few bodies and a few years off his life. To that do. man is from the same school as Isaiah Pachanko and Henry Parrish Jr. Just, I'm going to hurt you if you try to tackle me. That goal line package with Moss, Richardson, and Taylor is going to be absolutely terrifying. Good just luck. literally the most like insane wishbone you've ever seen in your life. Absolutely. And throw on top of that, just have like one of those the 17 tight ends motion with it as well. Just absolutely. absolutely Their own super. version of the, 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 uh, the, the brotherly shove, except in this way, it's like a, a, a Indy crisscross. 
the quartet of Colts or something like that. Like they'll figure out something to. They will find some way, and honestly, with with uh, Shane Steichen, they honestly could pull something out of the uh, out of the hat like that. Wouldn't surprise yeah. me. What what a division that's going to be in a few years. Most of the, you got Trevor Lawrence, you got Richardson and Stroud a couple more years, and maybe Levis, maybe Malik Wilson. We'll see what happens. Ooh, we'll see, ooh, but, I have like, a great idea. Um, maybe not this show, but next time, uh, next week or so, maybe on a slow week on the corner booth next time, a corner three. I don't know if you're coming on tomorrow. If you are great. Um, um, awesome. We do a stock up, stock down futures edition on draft on, I'm not on divisions, the NFL, which divisions have the brightest future, which divisions are falling, which divisions are going to turn into the NFC, AFC East of 10 years ago, et cetera. Like I look at the, and I look at the NFC East, it's Philly, and then maybe Washington gets their shit together because I don't know what Dallas's future looks like after next year. And the Giants are going to pray that they get like Michael Penix or somebody falling to them, but that does not solve their problem. But anyway, um, are we doing another round of rookies? Oh yeah, we got we got one more high each, and then we got a couple of guys who are low on. So you already Sweet. kind of reviewed your next one. Dalen freaking Kata, the number one prospect on my draft board, not named CJ. Oh, he was above CJ Stroud. I think it was. I had Jalen Carter, Bijan, CJ Stroud, and then um, there was one other guy who was like like over the moon. I'd have to go back to my draft special. But yeah, no, Jalen Carter was that dude. Okay. There is a reason they compared him to Warren Sapp on the field because he's a disruptor. He is a, he, and the thing is, like, it's not just that he is big, he's nasty, he's physical, he, is quick. I also think he tanked his draft stock. I really think he did. Though obviously the stuff off the field you really can't do anything about, but like I guarantee he wanted to fall to like Philadelphia. I, I guarantee this is the best case scenario. He hit him in uh old Drewy boy root, rooted for. Like they wanted him to fall to Philadelphia. Like they told Harry Roseman, you fall, you drafted at Hall of Fame defensive tackle. He may be honestly the way he's playing so far. I'm not saying he's going to make it. But he may honestly have a terrible career after this one season. But we lose Hargrave and we get a guy whose pro comp is Warren Sapp. He's what top three in pro comp in uh, pro football focus. As much pro football focus misses a lot. Defensive lineman, they really don't. Um, he's two sacks already. He's like he's over double digit pressures as a D tackle and a rotation. Every time he's on the field, I want like the hustle play. It was the it was uh, the game against the Vikings. He chased down a ball carrier from behind and punched the ball out. And I'm just sitting there in shock. Like, this kid literally just forced – it might have been Tampa, actually, but this kid just no forced a fumble after he got burnt. He got beat, and he hustles down and knocks the ball loose. It was Minnesota because I remember we like the game was like 3 nothing, But mm-hmm. unbelievable hustle. And, like, I can definitely tell being around his fellow uh, teammates from Georgia – Mentors like Fletcher Cox and Brandon Graham has been wondrous for this kid. But everything from his technique to his footwork to his drive to his ability to read the gap and separate himself with his arms and hands from the lineman, as a guy who played enough defense and watches enough defensive line play to understand this, he is arguably the most disruptive player on that defense unless Fletcher Cox is in his once-a-game revved-up mode. Fletch has one has one drive at top tier speed, and the rest is on cruise control. Then he is the he's the Hall of Fame defensive tackle we all know and love, who chased a burglar out of his house, buck naked with a shotgun. True story. Um, 
He's he's a Southern Mississippi boy till he goes in the ground. That is why I love Fletcher Cox. But Jalen Carter is as advertised. He's the best defensive lineman in this draft. He's the best defensive player in this draft. It sucks what happened to Christian Gonzalez, but the fact that people are like, oh, he was a he was he was a lock to win defensive rookie of the year. I'm like, what? there was no locks early on so far. Those defensive rookies like, as a whole have been outstanding. Oh, there's there's been a lot of great ones. What really is unfortunate is we haven't we have not heard any in I don't I can't remember if he's injured or not, which just shows how bad like his season's been so far. But I have not heard anything about Will Anderson, who's supposed to be the camp miss rookie of the year. Was he the favorite? I think he was, and he has one sack so far. I checked him before this. He has a sack. Yeah, Tackles. Yeah, he's the same amount of sacks as Hassan Reddick, who's had a slow start to the year in a contract year. Not great. Um, but yeah, no, Jalen Carter on tape. If you ever want to just go, if you have a kid who is a bigger fella who's playing defensive tackle, and you want to watch somebody who's just it's everything from footwork, technique, drive, athleticism, the perfect complete package. Like when I was teaching kids how to edge rush, I'd show them Von Miller because Von Miller from technique to talent is perfect. Vaughn Miller is a Hall of Fame edge rusher. He is everything you want to see in a coach If you, to when you're coaching. Jalen Carter has that kind of like filter because everything Jalen Carter does from run stopping to screen coverage to hustle to filling gaps, everything he does at 100% effort, 100% speed, he doesn't take plays off, and he does it to an exceptional ability. And it's some. I think this is what they talked about before the the car crash. Why he was the best defensive tackle because he does everything to complement the freak of nature mountain of a man that he plays next to in Jordan Davis. What's wild too is we talk about edge rushers turning speed to power, power to speed. How they can he manages to do that from the defensive tackle spot where you don't really get the get off because you basically snapping your head on with somebody. He can still utilize the speed to power and then filter and technique. There's not just a bull rush and. The way he utilizes his hands in the run game is what I think makes him special. He's the best player in pretty much everybody's draft board until that started happening. And then his pro day where he was basically gassed people, I think, as you mentioned, he might have tanked it. It's looking like that right now because he's not having any issues. He might have been fucking hungover. <laughs> he might he might have been or just chilling. <clears throat> he's looking awfully good right now. He's Right now with Gonzalez going down, he might be your favorite for defensive player of the year. Oh, I'm, banking that, I'm banking that bet in right now. His competition right now is the next guy that I am high on right now, and this is not exactly prisoner of the moment because he was my – I think he was my fourth or fifth player on my draft board, and that's Devin Witherspoon, the corner for Seattle as well. Very a little late game on the field. To quote your boy Pat McAfee, dog, the best way to describe him. All five foot 10, 190 pounds, and he's the hardest-hitting guy on the field nine times out of ten. And that's with Bobby Wagner and squad on there. He tackles anybody. He played, he played the nickel for the first time in his life, and he got two sacks and a pick six along with 10 tackles it's as an outsider. Absolutely, absolutely wild, man. It's absolutely incredible. And that's the first – they did that by necessity. They didn't even know he could do that. So once they get healthy in the defensive backfield, that's a weapon you can move all over the place to. You can put them outside, inside. Takes the best from those outside boundary corners, can match up with those bigger receivers. We talked about he's a safety in the box or a linebacker when you put him in there. You don't. You can play nickel against a traditional two tight in front. You're not missing a beat because of how he fits run fits. You can your nickel package can be your base package with him and Tariq Wool and two guys who will tackle. So I think yeah. Devin Witherspoon for right right now. I was already high on him. Like I said, Adam is a top five guy. I think he's just as good, if not better, than advertised. And now being able to play in a natural fit form in the nickel, kind of like he did a little bit at Illinois, not as much though. But seeing him in the NFL with that scheme fit, I think Devin Witherspoon. If he's 
him and Jalen Carter should be the two favorites for defensive rookie of the year right now, especially with Gonzalez, unfortunately, getting hurt. Who has also been absolutely outstanding. But I'm going with Witherspoon right now. You know what? <clears throat> I hear you. So why I love Witherspoon is because his pro comp, to my pro comp for him was Sheldon Brown, <clears throat> who just was a, a, a menace to society. Ask Reggie Bush. Um Reggie Bush doesn't remember that. Yeah, Reggie Bush just sees green, then sees the sky. Um, physicality, speed, ball skills, excellent man coverage, everything you want in a corner and more, and Pete Carroll gets him at five to build that defense. Now, they need a damn pass rush. Like, like holy shit. Oh, he was number five on my – he was number four on my big board behind Dijon, Jalen, and uh, C.J. Stroud. Uh, I was a very big proponent of him because I was like, this kid is just. But he checks every box. Everything he does, even his hip movement is clean. He does everything right. His knock is he's not six foot one, basically. And I keep telling people this all the time. And this is why I, I think I have to stress this more and more. Fundamentals are so essential in football. What I talk about, like, like, look at three of the four guys we talked about so far. All fundamentally sound players from excellent programs. I mean, no, I'm taking that back. Devin Witherspoon was at a shit program that had a great season. Um, had three NFL draft picks in their secondary alum. Um, Technically four. Yeah, that's true. And then a couple running backs, too. Like, that's a weird right. anomaly season. An anomaly yeah. season. And not, yeah, you know, and, and now they're a little, what, a middle-of-the-pack Big Ten team. But all those players are so well-versed with their mechanics and the way they operate from everything from like either a get off the line, hand speed, every everything's there. And then the talent goes with it. And now you see why they are dominating early as rookies. And that's the difference. Like there's something to be said a raw talent, but if you don't have the technique to go with that raw talent, you're just another missed opportunity. A lot of draft, a lot of GMs and scouts, especially Chris Bowder, the Colts, get an, a weird boner over the RAS score, the raw athletic score, and they will draft people exclusively on that. They forget guys that just play football and are actually really talented, like Witherspoon, who's 5'10, a buck 90, but you watch him play and he's the best player on the field a lot of times. Where some, some of those scouts would never even touch him because his RAS score is just pretty good. It's probably like a 90, not a 98 or something freaky like that. And I think they miss out a lot of, and what's weird is, I always knew he was fast, but seeing him on that pick six, I think he somehow got faster. Maybe it was just the maybe it was just those Seahawks uniforms. Maybe he's just air. New Jersey wins caught behind him, but he ran. He was running away from people even faster than I remember him being able to do. So that's who I'm going to go for the highs. But with every highs comes a little bit of lows. So now we got to look at some of the rookies who were a little bit lower on the ones that haven't. It's a quarter of the way through their career is far from determined. We're going to talk about the guys who've had a bit of a slow start. The floor is yours to go and break this one. <clears throat> it's it's weird. Like the the easy pick is to go after guys like you know like um like you know Bryce Young who's barely played a fucking snap in the league so far. I mean, listen, the, the durability scares the daylights out of me. I honestly was very impressed with Cody Mall. I don't know where all the hate's coming from because I watched him basically take on Fletcher Cox multiple times and hold his ground, missing teeth or not. Where I start to worry is when you get to the cornerback position. And to the um, another one defensive tackle is uh, Mozzie, uh, Mozzie Smith for the uh, Cowboys. Dude got a D grade NFL.com in his second week alone. 
and you're seeing, I, th- I believe his snap count's already going down. Um, Kalaja Clancy's another one where I look at him like, like, what are you doing, New Orleans? Is he even playing? Like, I'm not seeing stats from him. Played zero snaps because of a calf injury for Tampa Bay, so they basically wasted. Their, they yeah. haven't used the first round. Their first round pick. Then, but all in all, it really comes down to the secondary for me. And two guys that stick out are Emmanuel Forms, DJ Turner. I don't see DJ Turner on the field at all. I don't even think he's playing. He, he did is. play for him in the last game. In the game against the Rams, I saw him come in because of the injury. But I only yeah, recognize he's that not even, he's not even making the field. Like, yeah, it's not like in the Eagles where like the reason Keely Ringo ain't playing is because he's got a Hall of Famer Darius Slay in front of him, another possible Hall of Famer Bradbury on the other side. He doesn't. Oh, Bradbury's probably a fringe guy. He was a late bloomer, but I think Bradbury's probably like a second or third ballot kind of guy, maybe fourth. But Slay's first ballot. Slay's the Slay's the corner father. Like that that one we agree on. Like he's the godfather yeah. of corners. Yeah. So Emmanuel Forbes, and here's the thing: like they gave him a C grade to start the season. I'm reading a report from two weeks ago, and I saw it was funny you brought this up because I was thinking about what rookies have been struggling. I was thinking about this for the show because like we all we only really hear about the rookies who are succeeding, which I, I love the positivity. It's great. And everyone's ripping Forbes, and I really feel bad because he he's he's a talented corner. But when you when you put a guy I, – I put this on the defensive coordinator of the Washington Commanders. I know we were going with this, and I said it on Tier Tuesdays. Preach to him. 160 fucking pounds covering A.J. Brown, who's the size of a linebacker. Are you kidding me? One-on-one, no help. One-on-one, you are setting him up for failure. That's when they put, like, um, Michael Jaquet Jr. Not many know who this guy is. He played for the Eagles for half a season in 2020 when Darius Slay had a bunch of scrubs in himself to cover people. Um, He had to cover DeAndre Hopkins one-on-one when Slay had a calf injury. That's what it felt like on Sunday. When I saw AJ get the ball, I knew he had a shot to score. And this dude getting roasted online. Put somebody over the top of him. You knew they were going to target him with AJ. Even the guy who weighs the same as he does in Devontae Smith would have dominated him. The poor kid has a lot of promise. He's raw. He is the most raw cornerback in this draft class, besides maybe DJ Turner, but at least the Giants, the smartest thing Wink Martindale did this fucking season is not put him on. He needs a year watching Adoree Jackson get smoked. And then he'll come in because the Dory Jackson was the most overpaid corner. Like everyone, I thank God we waited until they cut Bradbury, signed him and let those suckers in New York take the glorified return specialist known as the Dory Jackson. But with, and this is to my point, cornerback development is huge. It's the hardest position to transfer. We got so caught up last year with Tariq Wollin and Sauce Gardner, who made instant impact, and Devin Witherspoon, who's made instant impact so far. Christian Gonzalez, same thing. But what do all those guys have in common? DJ, we've said it already tonight. It's technique and fundamentals. Forbes was raw. He's an interception artist. You know who took a little while to get acquainted to the league? One of my favorite interception artists of all time? Asante Samuel. Asante Samuel. He did not start right away for Bill. He was a rookie. He had to wait to get on the field on that dominating Pats defense. He, I think he got him by like the end of his rookie season, but still, like it took him forever to get on. I think Darius by the time he started getting burned, like they had to yeah, wait. Ty, the- yeah, Ty Law barely played for the Jets until he got on, right? Ty Law, I think so. I think once Ty Law left the Patriots, that's when Asante started kicking in, like two thousand five. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then, 
we could keep going down the list. Besides, unless they're a top five drafted corner, like like P Pat or Darius Slay, I'm not gonna. They're not gonna get like the quality starting reps. They're not built like that. And Especially I think people laugh. The whole mismatch of exactly dad beating his son on the corners. It makes, it's not guys. It's not Madden. Okay, you can't put an 160 pound cornerback on a 220 pound receiver who's pissed off he hasn't scored a touchdown yet. One on one for an entire game. Who's also a top five receiver in the game on top of it, not just a yeah. freak name, but also a top he's five. not just like a DK Metcalf where he'll only run four routes. He can run the entire route tree and then tell you about it after he puts the ball in your lap. Like AJ Brown is our generation's TO. A lot less disruptive, but skill set, he's TO with better hands. A little less explosiveness in the speed or TO would run like a four three in like boxers and slippers. AJ Brown runs like a four four eight. And he needs to pick his food better because like that's the third time now I've heard that he's had tummy issues. But other than that, if he picks yeah, his food, like I swear to God, the guy's just AJ. Just get a dietitian, buddy. Like just get a personal chef. Like enough. Listen, I am one who enjoys the uh, the the uh, fast food, but Chipotle is the devil, man. Just go get, just go be a normal human being. Go get Taco Bell. It's better for you anyway. Not for his butthole at this point. But at this point, he needs to be strict on that one. Like he, yeah, go stick to the Popeyes. <laughs> Listen. My favorite pregame meal either was Popeyes or Mickey D's, man, because you knew what you were getting every time. You did, the tummy and the opponents might have hated it, but your body was ready for it. Nah, never. <laughs> yeah. but Once like, you go small-town delis, that's when the problem starts. But, yeah, no, Emmanuel Forbes, I think, and it's not because of him. It's because of the coaching. And I, I think a lot of these secondary – I think we. I think it's a lot of these guys in the secondary. Um, so it's kind, of like a, it's kind of like a blanket statement because we got too used to it with Sauce and Tariq Wollin last year. That's my point. And then you throw Gonzalez on Witherspoon on it this year in situations where they don't have to be left one on one with AJ Brown or something freaky like that on the edge too. Like yeah, who's who's he, who's freaking uh who's we got behind fucking Quandre Diggs, consummate yeah, yeah. pro, Jamal the Hitstick Adams. Like like, I wouldn't say he's the best coverage guy, but at least you know he's got you over the middle. They've got stars in that defense. Same thing in, in Belichick. You got the best defensive coach of all time. And then in Washington, it's all predicated on your D line getting sacks. When they don't get home, you can't be left one on one on an island. You got to roll against the top a top three offensive line. But yeah, I digress. Exactly. Who, who you got? Exactly. Next, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna stick with. The, I'm gonna go to the defensive side. I'm gonna go to the defensive line. I'm gonna go to a guy that a lot of people highly rate as the top rated edge. I'm going with Tyree Wilson for the Raiders. I know he was injured. I know he was banged up coming in. He literally has zero QB pressures on the season so far. He is basically he has been on the field opposite of Max Crosby and has not really made an impact. He's just kind of been a stalemate. It's early. He's a freak of nature. He was no one wanted to say it, but he was kind of raw too. He had some moments like he could bend and stuff like that. He could fly around the edge, but he was raw. If you could put him and Will Anderson together and like merge them into one, then you got like a then you got a Von Miller type of rookie. You got one of those type of guys, but that's not the case. Tyree Wilson's been stalemated for the Raiders. Their defense has been abysmal, minus against the Broncos for a little bit and for a quarter against the Chargers. They've they've been rough. Tyree Wilson has not been coming off the edge for him. You could I hardly could tell he's on the field. I thought he's actually still injured until they said his name against the Chargers. I'm like, oh, he has been playing. He needs you're playing the opposite of Max Crosby. It doesn't get much easier than that. You got to find a way to at least get QB pressures. I'm not saying you got to get sacks. Khalil Mack had six of them in that game. I'm not saying you got to do that, but you got to at least get in. The opponent, the opposing quarterback's face. You're six foot seven. Just stick an arm in the air and kind of intrude their vision a little bit. But he's, he just feels like it's, 
it feels like he was not supposed to come in except for as a third down specialist. But with the Chandler Jones this situation, they just kind of thrust him out there because they need any type of pass rush they can get because there's not a lot else there. And their secondary is still a little thin, and the Raiders are an absolute mess. So Tyree Wilson, I'm a little bit low on right now because I I didn't like him going there in the first place. I didn't either. Now it's even – everything's kind of being amplified a little bit. Well, now even more of a spotlight is now with the Chandler Jones situation, you really have one. They're like, hey, is this kid the next guy? And it's like – I don't, I don't know, man. Like, there's a lot of wiggle room there. But no, I, I, I totally agree with you there with Tyree Wilson. I didn't like. I thought his best situation was if he fell a little bit and like maybe like Seattle traded back up to get him, or Detroit went and got another edge rusher because I'm like they need teams that needed edge rusher help that didn't need him to star right away. I also think everything associated with the Las Vegas Raiders is a complete and utter train wreck. So, pretty much, it's number seventeen and twenty-eight, and everything else is a man and ninety-eight, I guess. But everything else is just a train wreck. You got three star players, and then just a bunch of what is going on here, and a miserable yeah. head coach. <sighs> well, we've gone to that. So we got we got one more each two, and is there another rookie that you're kind of low on right now that you want to see a little bit more pop? Nolan Smith, and it's not a super negative thing. It's just he's really raw. And I this is why we drafted him at 30. Because he's just raw. He's learning from the prototype of his position, not named Terrell Suggs, which is Hassan Reddick, a mobile edge rushing linebacker who can switch sides, can run inside, can do whatever he's got, can drop in the coverage he needs to. And Nolan Smith is going to be a great pro. He just looks sloppy. The footwork's not there yet. They even said it. The reason he only gets like 20% of the snaps is because he's not, he'll get his time. He's just, he's learning. And it's it's nothing against him. It's just, unfortunately, he's in a loaded defensive line front. A former first-round pick and resident guy in the referee's mouth, Derek Barnett, who gets at least average two penalties a game, he gets like 10% of the snaps. Because, like, you have sweat. You have Carter, Milton Williams is having an amazing season, Cox, and freaking Jordan Davis. And then you throw in Hassan Reddick, and it just the list goes. And there's a lot of dudes who can get after the quarterback. I think no one's been disappointing me because I wanted to see the athleticism a little more, see if he can just beat a tackle to the edge. But there is definitely a speed difference. And he's a, he's light. He's only a, what, a buck 39? I mean, 239. He's not big. So it's it's gonna it's it, this is more of a wait and see disappointed like I would have loved to see some freaky athletic shit plays like but I could there's no really like I was looking at the first round this just now while you were while we were talking there's not really any players besides like um, Clancy not really paying for the Buccaneers or like like some of these cornerbacks not playing or Forbes who I mentioned before there's not a lot of guys that we haven't brought up that are struggling it's early. But there's a lot of guys not playing that have me bugged a little bit, if that makes sense. Yeah. And with Nolan Smith to also add on to that, I just, I think he's outstanding. I was high on him. He was one of my favorite players in the draft. I think missing that lot, most of that last year, Georgia slowed a little bit of that progression a little bit too. Just some of those little technique things to complement it as well. So I think this is almost like making up for lost time getting back on the field. So I think down the back half of the season, I think he's start terrorizing people as well. I think he's like those last six or so games, he's going to get more time. He's start terrorizing people once he gets back into the group. But, Oh, no, sorry. Yeah, it's just, it's, um, defensive players, the opposite of running backs. You want more tread on the tires. You need them to, because you need to learn how to beat certain types of tackles. 
Also, score update, the Diamondbacks took the lead over the Brewers. It's 3-2 now. Uh, that's why you're in a better mood now. That's why you're a little bit – that's why you got a little more pep in your step. A little, little more pep in my step. And, is, and Zach Allen is still pitching, which is that, – That'll be – Chef's kiss. Next one I'm going to do is I'm going to do kind of what we did the first one. I'm going to look at first-round receivers, not names A Flowers. I'm going to look at a JSN and Quinton Johnson too. And it's kind of in the same boat as like I like them. There's nothing they're doing wrong. I just – JSN in that offense with Tyler Lockett and DK out there, I wanted to see him just start cooking people. But he has he's getting like three catches for five yards in some games. He's not able to use that fourth option. He's not using that Walker. I want to see that route running come to play. I want to see him start smoking people and getting open, which this is not really on him. This is something that will come and go as well, too. So it's like give it time a little bit as well. And we do have our boy Hector jumping in saying that is not Kelsey. As Kelsey is away from the office right now. So you got Jared pinch in here tonight. We appreciate you for joining us in Hector as well to our good friends at insert name FC. And then to add on to Quentin Johnston just hasn't seen the field. He's going to come in now a lot with Mike Williams out. I think he's going to be awesome. I think he fits, can do a lot of what Mike Williams does, plus yards after the catch. He just needs to get those reps and get on the field with Herbert, get some timing down. But I think they'll be fine. I just was – I was high on – I liked both of them in their situations. I was hoping a little bit more early. So it's kind of like we said with those other ones. We're not low on them. It's not their trash. We're not ruling them out, throwing out the windows. Just hoping for a little bit more with the situation. JSN, to me, was drafted as leverage for Tyler Lockett. That's what he is to me. They knew he was not going to – like, so we we talked about this already, but he's technically the fifth option on that offense. Just tying with – um, Sh- how you pronounce it? The backup Charbonnet. Charbonnet. The, it, it, I call him Chardonnay yeah. on the show on, mm-hmm. on, on Monday because I'm just like, I gave up. But I somebody told me it was Chernoblatt, and I'm like, that actually sounds pretty badass, and I'm like, that doesn't make sense. That's a good running back name, but – Right? That's what I thought. And then – but think about it. Tyler Lockett's deal's up, what, a year? Two years max. It's something like that, and he's getting up there too. Yeah, they're going to re-sign DK, but they want to, or they they may have already. I, don't I think know. they did re-sign him as well. They already did re-sign DK, but they can't play pay Tyler another contract. JSN's the perfect replacement. They could probably cut Tyler after this year, save a bunch of money, and now they can go get a cheap, inexpensive veteran slot receiver or outside guy like a Marvin Jones to go play alongside DK and JSN if JSN delivers. But to them. They want him to let to delay slow. Same thing with um Quentin Johnston, who I think now is gonna get more touches. But like the only reason Jordan Addison and Zay Flowers are doing anything is because they're their team's either second or first best option. So it's they kind of have to produce. Exactly. They don't have a choice. And I think their skill set was a little more jumping in play because it was such smooth route running with explosiveness and they you get the ball in their hands, they do a little bit more. Jackson has great route running, he's just not quite as explosive. He's agile, he's quick, but he's not as – Zay Flowers is toasting people's ankles, just like Jordan Addison, where Jackson's just kind of get to- toasting with technique. So I think those two, I think they all come along. Like we said, we're not – we're just lower because we had hoped for a little bit more personally as well, just in those situations specifically. Like, yeah. They'll be fine. Like I, There's nobody I look at this rookie class, I'm like, wow, four games in, and I think they're trash. There's no Johnny Manziel situations here. No, I think, you know, we'll, you know, we'll revisit this, obviously, either on my show or if I could, if you allow me to come back here, we'll revisit this end of the season because I think our answers are going to be a little different, at least on disappointments, but I think successes are going to be about the same. I don't see any scenarios where C.J. Stroud, Anthony Richardson, Jalen Carter, Devin Witherspoon just tank, barring like a major injury, and then we just don't know at that point as well. So I – Unless CJ Strauss ends finishes the season with eight touchdowns and twenty seven well, picks, which would be also an tank. Oh, can we also talk about just like the tank Dell pick, just looking beautiful. I'm gonna He's toss the perfect, perfect compliment to Nico Collins. 
I, he's perfect. I love the CJ Stroud said, go get that man. And they actually listened and got that, got him that man. And him, Zay Flowers, Jordan Addison, and Devontae Smith, you can be a small guy and play receiver nowadays. You don't have to be the six foot three prototype. If you run routes like that, you there is a place for you in the NFL. Yeah, or you just run faster than the guy trying to cover you, just a la Deshaun Jackson or Jeremy Mackle back in the day. Exactly. Like you don't have to be a freak of nature. If you if you know how to run routes and you're quick like those guys are, there is a place for you in the NFL, especially with offensive line play kind of deteriorating over the last few years because of the lack of practice, training camps, and that sort of thing. And defensive linemen running four three forties now all of a sudden. So you gotta have guys that can get open quickly. And these little you're you can't ask DK Metcalf for someone who's six six four two twenty to run a two step wiggle slant zig out or something like that too. Like that's a little yeah. unrealistic. More that's what makes like guys like AJ Brown so unique. That's what makes Calvin Johnson arguably a top five receiver all time for or yeah. Andre Johnson for that matter. Exactly, like absolute mon- monster. So these little guys, there is room for them in the NFL, and you're seeing it now in full force as well. The three bet- best rookie receivers, all small guys. Not one of them is. I, I'm looking all of them eye to eye right now, and I'm not. Spoiler, guys, I'm not exactly six foot four or anything like that. So I think I'm. I think the only one who's got me. I think Zay. I think Jordan Addison's got me by an inch, or he's yes. five eleven. My he's my height. He's, so yes. they're all they're all all right or small. I wish, but they're also freak athletes. So that's neither here nor there. We're not trying to say yeah. I'm on their level or nothing, but that's gonna do it here for the main event. Talking a little bit of rookie report here too. We definitely will be revisiting this later in the season. But that's gonna take us into. Kelsey's favorite part of every show that is crunch time crunch time brought to you by outlier go to outlier.bet backslash high sport get yourself a free seven-day trial best smarter not harder get yourself anything from odds trends where players what players do in their matchups everything like that to try and win yourself some money and we'd be remiss not to mention it is world series time right now though we are in the nba excuse me the mlb playoffs wildcard games going on right now as you mentioned as well and what we're doing right now is we're doing predictions for who we think is going to be in the world series mm-hmm. Who's going to win and who is going to be the MVP? So, Jared, as the guest, go ahead and take it away. What do you, how, who do you see going to the World Series as of October fourth, twenty twenty three? You will not be held. This will not be held against you in the court of war. So, I have two different predictions. I have my gut prediction. And I have my heart prediction. Ooh, um, that. so my gut prediction is the Tampa Bay. Oh, no, I'm just kidding. Um, the uh, Atlanta Braves. <laughs> I think this is the year they're just loaded. I never said they're going to win, but this is the year they're going to roll. It's going to be Atlanta versus the Texas Rangers. That offense looks unstoppable. They took two of the best starters in the AL East and beat the snot out of them. And it wasn't even close. Now, the one problem to this is I said to you, it doesn't matter in my heart or my gut, the winner of the AL is coming out of the state of Texas. Because the one team, and I talked about this earlier with you over text, was is the is the the baseball equivalent of the Indianapolis Colts, which is the the OG Peyton Manning Colts, is the Houston Astros. You get up quick and you play pass rush and coverage football. Where with the Astros, they allow their pitchers with they give them a quick lead with Jordan or Alex Bregman hitting a nice bomb. Altuve got on base, they score a couple runs. And then their pitchers get after you, causing you to make mistakes, swing out of pitches that are out of the zone, chase breaking balls, try to drive on a, on an off-speed pitch. And then you make mistakes, you ground out, you cause double plays, and it's this a way of attacking the batter without having to get overly aggressive and throw pitches that can get taken to the taken to the cheap, cheap seats, right? And so that's why, to me, it, we may have a Braves-Astros reunion or... Actually, no, that was Braves Dodgers, I believe, right? No, no, that was NLCS. NLCS. Yeah, last year. I don't, was, I don't, I don't think the, 
I think the Dodgers were very good. But the problem is there are three teams in the playoffs who have the Dodge who know how to play the Dodgers. That's the Phillies, the Braves, and the Diamondbacks. The Dodgers could go on a roll, but they're not the same Dodgers. They just won a lot of games. They played good baseball, but there is no Justin Turner to have the heroics. And also, this is in the 2020 Mickey Mouse year, so it doesn't count. My heart, what I think is going to happen, what I what like in my heart of hearts thinks is going to happen is if they're continue this is what I would love my dream world series is I would love to see the um Baltimore Orioles take on the Arizona Diamondbacks it won't happen it okay. won't I think I think Baltimore is going to get shit canned by whichever team comes out of that wild card because they were the best team in baseball they have a great bullpen and this is the key we talked about this over text before bullpen wins world series right we talked about how Arizona's bullpen's picked up but the standard to bullpen play this year has been the Orioles. If both teams get Tommy hitting, both teams play bullpen ball, we may have an amazingly random World Series of Baltimore versus Arizona. Two teams that both finished with 100-plus losses last year. Baseball would be touting it as the turnaround season, right? Um, but, yeah, I do think it's going to be Braves versus uh, Astros because I just think that – Unless one of these teams in the AL gets take either keeps that offense down, makes it sloppy, makes it ugly, makes it like a game where they can't just play their attack and pullback style of baseball. I don't know. And my th- my threat to them was the Rays. I thought the Rays with that pitching depth were going to do it. And then I, I checked the score while I'm at the gym. They got fucking shelled. The ran the Rangers ran through them like they they took no. It was ugly. Like at least the Brewers are putting up a fight with Arizona. They're a good team. The Brewers are a solid team. The problem is the Brewers aren't built to beat anybody else but Arizona. Arizona could beat any team in the NL. That's not a question. They they've beaten every team in the NL in a series. They have not beat the the Brewers through their best pitcher out there yesterday. He got clubbed in the thir- in the third inning. Moreno, Marte, and Corbin Carroll all took him deep within a matter of an inning and a half, and that was it. And the uh, and it was like a sinking feeling, right? So I don't. Know, that's that's my world. So I really do think the Atlanta Braves, the Houston Astros, going to be a fun series. And give it to Houston. You know what? The trash can boys. As much as we want to rip on them, they ran this back from being what like ten games back of Texas halfway through the season. You had the surging Mariners who are charging, right? And yeah, no, I just actually no. Sorry, my heart of hearts. Final four is Texas versus Baltimore and Philly versus Arizona. I think that'd be the greatest combination championship series of all time. That that'll be something as well. We got got to get it to the Astros. As much as it's fun to rag on them for obvious reasons, they've kind of almost turned themselves into like baseball's Patriots. How they're mm-hmm. always in the AL championship game, the World Series. They have always been right mm-hmm. there the last five years. So. Looking at some of these other predictions, now we're going to jump into DJ's World Series prediction. I agree with you. It's coming out of the state of Texas in the AL. I got the Rangers taking on the Dodgers. Oh, God, I want to puke. I don't like it. The Dodgers, I think, <laughs> win. Mookie Betts takes MVP. I do think you mentioned they a lot of teams know how to play them, but I think they know how to play the teams like the Braves, and I think the Braves are the only team that will match them talent for talent. So I'm going to say the Dodgers take this one much to my dismay. Not happy about it. We're getting off of this now. We're going to go to Kelsey's World Series prediction. He's got the Astros taking on the Braves. He got the, he has the Astros winning with Kyle Tucker as MVP. 
And for oh, those of you who watched our prediction so far, you know we instituted a fan vote this year. And for the fan vote, we got the Orioles taking on the Phillies with the Phillies getting the dub and Nick Castellanos winning MVP. So we got, what the fuck? We got a little bit of everything. And you know, if Nick wins it, there's going to be a very, very interesting commentary going on right when he hits that hits that MVP. Oh I'm really hoping he doesn't because the state of the world may not make it. If the what would take Nick Castellanos to be MVP, somebody important is going to die. <laughs> well, you know what? Let's, let's not wish that on the world. But that I don't do. wish that on the world. I would love. That's why I don't think he's going to win the World Series. The World Series MVP. Also, like, are we also ignoring the fact that the Phillies could literally be that next team who gets hot the year before, makes the playoffs the following year, and gets shit can it's happened multiple years in baseball it's it's they could they honestly it could happen it happened to the my favorite one was i believe the yankees in 2010 where they got in the playoffs and then just got railroaded i will say they are a, they are talented though if they get hot at the right time they can find themselves in that world they they're they're going they're either going to get ramrodded out of the gate or they're going to end up in the nlc or it's going to be one of those slack jaw, jaw drag it out pop each other in the mouth every five seconds kind of series and it's going to go the full five and or even like they play like la the winner of what could be la and arizona if they get past the Phillies and you may look at this, like, okay, whoever comes out of that LA, Arizona or LA Milwaukee series, if it's LA Milwaukee, LA walks away in three, but if it's LA Arizona, that game, that might go to five. Whoever comes out of that series is going to be like Stan Marsh from South park. I didn't hear no bell. Cause those, everyone, for, everyone doesn't really pay attention to the NLS, but the West coast teams, they all hate each other. Oh, Kelsey so can relate to this. They all, everyone except Colorado, those four West Coast teams, San Diego, LA, Arizona, and um, San Fran, all hate each other. And especially Arizona and, and LA. They do not like each other at all. Well, their fans literally beat each other senseless in a parking lot till one gets brand new. That's San Fran and LA, but close enough. They just jumped in our pool and we, we don't really have, they also invade our ballpark because we had a transient fan base until about July. So. Either way, my point is those West Coast teams hate each other. It's not all California love out there. So that's going to do it here for the show today. And, Jerry, before we get out of here, go and let the people know where they can find you and who the heck you are. You can find my subpar personal content at Belly Up Jared on Twitter and Corner Booth Jared on everything else. But you can find me and our Motley Crew cast of characters at Corner Booth Pod on everything from, uh, I think, what is it, Threads to X to TikTok to YouTube, and then that handsome devil, Kelsey, joins the comment section. No problem, brother. Always happy to help out you boys. Um, and, yeah, we go live every Monday at 7, doing our usual review show for the previous week, uh, what happened over the weekend in sports. Generally, it's a, a very football-heavy, obviously. And then Thursday, the show that DJ participates on almost every week, and Kelsey a lot as well, is our pregame. Imagine five idiots with alcohol responsibly of course uh sitting around talking sports picking games gambling and just enjoying ourselves and acting as a pregame for your thursday night football experience that is the corner booth pregame which is to, uh, kicks off tomorrow around seven o'clock with dj going as well also by the way uh lourdes goriel just hit a single and so tommy fam it is now five two arizona dj we might have dodgers i'm back play of baseball Whew. <laughs> I'm getting, getting you can see your mood slightly get better well, as this. It's, as it's now it's turning into rage because my hatred of those those weenies from Chavez Ravine is well documented. 
we can go on. We can make this a four hour show to talk about those weenies. Well, we I mean, listen, me and Kelsey both hate those Dodgers. So, hey, 100%. I think just about everybody does, minus those that are minus that there's Dodgers fans and everyone else hates them. There's no in between. Exactly. There's very few and different, but that's going to do it here for us on the High Low Sports Podcast. We appreciate you all for joining us. Go check out our YouTube page for Tier Tuesdays. Check out the Corner Booth pregame tomorrow for Thursday on the Corner Booth YouTube page as well, too. We'll see you all again next week. Peace, folks.